stupid? Are you ready? Okay, Smokey. Roll him. <laughs> That's silly. Shoot him now! Shoot him now! Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Quite All Folks, a Looney Tunes podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hallam, joined by... And I'm Jordan Schmitz. Every year, we, for some reason, like to do an episode consisting of three Looney Tunes shorts we don't like. Now, a lot of the times, this can be things we didn't like when watching Golden Collections drink as kids... Sometimes it's things that we've seen later in life and have gotten a really bad reputation and have to cover anyway. Sometimes it's things that you guys don't like that we have to bring to the forefront. We've decided to do another one because we usually do these around the end of the year. And a lot of the the ones we had uh, planned for this uh, episode were marginal. Like, like I'm going to be honest. Of the two or three that I put in, there there were some there I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be a really bad one. I don't know if we're really going to get material out of this. And I should really trust myself more often is what I'm, is what I'm learning. Yeah. Is, uh, I, we were able to put together a very terrible lineup of very terrible cartoons. Oh, I got pissed off writing notes for this. There's, there, there's one that we're lukewarm about, one that enraged Mark, and one that confused the fuck out of him. And yeah. Yeah. I... I think we have more than enough material out of these three. Um, and it's funny because these three run the gamut between various stages of the Looney Tunes legend from the early days to the heyday of the mid forties to the death knell of the studio in the early sixties. And we've got it all here and uh, we are excited. I guess excited is a strong word. We're going to um, cover these for you. Yes, so the shorts we'll be covering are Catnip College, Curtain Razor, and Hair Breath Hurry. An eclectic mix. It's funny because the one that we're starting with, which I think is the one that you're covering. um, Yes, it is. Cool. Just want to make sure that I got that right. Uh, Was the one that I put on here, I think, first. And... It's solely because when I watched this cartoon, the very first one that we're covering tonight, uh, on the Golden Collections back in the day, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, there are cool things happening here, but I, I really don't get what's what's going which, on. Which is fair. Yeah. Listen, when it comes to, you know, kid us watching the Golden Collection, I mean... Yes, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I can't even say for sure if it's like, oh no, I just went, uh, well, okay, if it was a golden collection where I knew, if I know a certain show was on there, then I'll quit, I'll just jump right into it, put the disc in, watch the cartoon, yeah. and then maybe I'll jump around a bit, yeah. but there would be some times I would just watch the entire disc and I'd go, okay, like, like the, the show would be over and be like, well, that was... This, Oh well, that was a cartoon. I'll be winners. Okay, but it's like, oh, but here's the next one. Hopefully, that one's much better. Yeah. And like yeah. nine out of ten times, it was. Yeah. The first show we're covering here, uh, Cadnip College, was uh, one of those. I believe it was on the either the second or the third. 
Gold Collection. I always forget. It was on the second Gold Collection. It was on the second, second one, Collection yeah, yeah. on disc four. Yeah, that which was their. Right. It was like their their music, uh, the music shorts episode, I, I guess. Um, so it came out on June eleventh, nineteen thirty-eight. Guards will happen on that day. I went with the safe option. I went with um, a Cincinnati Red Johnny Vandermeer. No hits, the Boston Braves, three to zero. Johnny Vandermeer. And let me just like let me make sure I have this correct. Please do. Because Johnny Vandermeer, I think, did something really cool around this time. Um, I'm just double checking the stats. Yeah. You know what happens four you know what happened four days uh, after that no hitter, Mark? What happened four days after? He threw another one. <laughs> Johnny Vandermeer is the only player in Major League history to throw two straight no-hitters in subsequent starts. Because for those of you who don't know baseball, basically, you get a, if you're a starting pitcher, you get a start, you have like a week or so's rest. You have five, like These days, you have like five days rest, four days rest, and then you get another start out there. So basically what happened was is that Johnny Vandermeer, who was 22, like 23, oh, I think, he, he like um, gets up there June 11th, pitches a no-hitter against the Boston Bees, which um, would later become the Boston Braves, which would become the Milwaukee Braves and the Atlanta Braves. And then four days later against the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field, the first ever night game at Ebbets Field, he goes and no hits them. Nobody does that. There have been people that have come close, but nobody has done that. That's actually awesome that you found that, and I'm glad that I'm really happy you didn't know he pitched the next one four days later because that's no, like no, I didn't. That's actually amazing. Yeah, no, it is. It's awesome. 30s and 40s baseball was really cool because you had people just do incredible things before, like they before the game became the commercialized version that it is. It was just like, all right, uh, we have uh, Pognos Blazuski coming up here, and, oh, he had a 6,000-mile home run, and then he died of dysentery. Like, like <laughs> things like that would just happen, and everybody was like, well, that's baseball for you. And then people nowadays are like, oh, I have a Pugnose baseball card that's worth $60,000, but I'm not going to sell it. So it, it, it's a weird sport. Yeah, but yeah, Johnny Vandermeer, awesome. Dan Gutman wrote a book about him. Yes. Pugnose and me. Look for it in bookstores everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, can we be any more Jersey? Um, no. Catnip College was directed by the Cows. Cal Howard and Cal Dalton. You've never heard of them. I've heard of Cal Ripken. I haven't heard of Cal Dalton or the other one. Yes. Uh, also, it uh, was written by Dave... Monahan, who, who we have oh, yes. before. He, he's, he's a classic or early tunes uh, writer. Now, here's the thing. When I went on the Wikipedia, right, I'm like, okay, no one's heard of these people. Both of these directors have Wikipedia pages. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, someone made a Wikipedia page for these two directors I've never heard of, because why would I? Animation historians, man. Okay, so... I'll cover Kyle Dalton first because his story is a little bit shorter, uh, pretty much. He first came to animation in 1930, went to Leon Sester Studios in 1938 when Frizz Freeling left WB to go to Universal for a little while. 
Um, Dalton was given directing um, promotions, but however, he was never allowed to direct by himself. It was like, listen, here, we don't trust you though, so you have to work with either Kyle Howard or Ben Hardaway. And um, the biggest acclaim that uh, Kyle Dalton had was with Ben Hardaway. He co-directed uh, Harem Scarum in 1939, which is considered a very early Bugs cartoon. That's his claim to fame in the world of animation. He, he left the scene after a while because, you know, he was never given his own directing unit, so he was like, well, fuck this, I'm out of here. Um, Cal Howard, on the other hand, much more of a fascinating life, frankly. So, in the late 20s, uh, Kyle Howard worked at Walter Lance Productions and then watched his animation. So right off the bat, he worked with Lance, he worked with Disney, he worked with Fleischer and Ub Iwerks. He was a story man for them, which is insane. And then in 1938, um, Howard left WB Cartoons with with Ted Pierce. Ted Pierce actually left WB for a little bit oh. to work to work with uh, with Fleischer Studios. And uh, apparently Howard was the live-action model for Prince David in Fleischer's Gulliver's Gulliver's Travels. I don't don't know if you've seen that one, but apparently he worked that. I haven't. He left Fleischer for MGM. In in '42, he was an uncredited writer for Tom and Jerry, which, I mean, Tom and Jerry isn't every single person who's ever worked at MGM an uncredited writer for Tom and Jerry. (laughs) It's like, hey, I I did the one gag. I was a janitor. (laughs) I, I piped my head and said, hey, what if this one cartoon, Tom gets hit with a lamp, and they put it in there. No, no. <laughs> I, I worked as a janitor there. I poked my head in one time and said, don't you believe it. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was I where they got the inspiration for... <laughs> I stubbed my toe really badly once. But here's yeah. the funny thing. That's nothing! I stubbed my toe really badly and went... Uh, but here's the funny thing. He actually got fired from MGM by Fred Quimby, like the lead producer in fr- who's in charge of Tom and Jerry, essentially. Because apparently, it was discovered that he brought alcohol to the ink and paint department during the Christmas holiday. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Which, which that just says, um, be sure to stay at Warner Brothers. Have you seen their holiday reel? They're crazy. <laughs> they don't give a shit. They're probably smoking pot around that time. Hey, give me some of that good stuff over there. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, mama. Yeah. Also, he, also he, he was part of the development for NBC's The Today Show? Sure. Okay. Sure. And um, in the 60s, he did cartoon work till his uh, retirement. And uh, yeah, he passed away in September of 1993. Okay. Did we pad out enough time to get to the actual short now? I don't think we're going to need the padding. We have a lot to get to in this one. All right, then. We have a lot of things so. to say. Not about this short. We can basically sum up our actual thoughts on this short very succinctly. Also, uh, Jerry Beck really likes this cartoon. Yes, it's on the Golden Collection, but I think 
what, like a month ago as we're recording this, he, because he, he does these like cartoon showcases at the new uh, Beverly in, in LA. And oh. one of the cartoons shown was Catnip College. <laughs> so, like, so we're like, oh, wait, are we covering that in our Bad Shorts episode? Whoops. Which should be well, fair. I mean, last Bad Shorts episode, we did cover one that Jerry hated, uh, prehistorical hair, I believe. So, uh, yes. Yeah. And we, we've, we've, I mean, we put things that we think are bad. Not that every, everybody does. I mean, we put the Dover Boars here because Mark, I think, originally didn't like that. And I was like, come on. And then you got it. So, yeah. um, but not the full on, come on, like the no. Roger Rabbit or whatever episode that I, I did that gag in. Um, it it might have been that one. But, um, yeah, I think so. But yeah, no, uh, Catnip Capers, uh, Catnip College, Catnip Capers is, um, something completely different uh, that I picked from the back of my head. That Catnip College, that's the name of the short. So, the one good gag of the short is at the very beginning. Sorry, the one gag of the short is at the very beginning. Yes. Where there's a car of people headed to Catnip College, and everybody gets out of the car, including the driver, and the driver sees the car keep going, and then he braces himself for the sound of the crash, which gives the impression that he's done this before. I liked that. It was all downhill from there. So we go into the college doors as we see there's biology, ecology, and then there's swingology. Hey, and the door. 1938, man. Yeah. Okay, the, the, one, the one little joke I actually did like was just, you know... <laughs> Everyone's clapping on the beat, and there's our lead character who's like, he's clapping out of it, which, ah, man, so, it just reminds me, like, you know how, like, there's always that, like, that one white guy who's trying to show that he's, you know, he's fully aware, that's the of all the people, so he takes, like, a Black History 101 course. Yeah. Like, see, I'm, I'm hip. I'm with it. See, I'm with it. How do you like the new Kendrick Lamar album, my brothers? <laughs> Wait, why are you beating exactly. me up? This is the exact opposite of what I wanted you to do. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> what do you mean don't use that exact phrasing? Rodney who? So he, he's white as hell in this one. He's very white. And that's his whole character. Pretty much. As... Really, no As the teacher comes out of the desk, and listen, one thing I will say about this cartoon is that Mel Blanc, and in fact, none of their go-do players around this time is in this cartoon. You can tell because the because the teachers something about the teacher's voice acting in this is so like okay, so he's 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 supposed to be like singing along to the beats, yeah, but it's so. There's no acting. He's just no, saying the lines. In the he's not voice acting. He's just saying the lines. Okay, Mr. Jones, you may recite your history for today. Uh, that's a killer, son. That's a killer. Comes now, Miss Kitty Bright. Let's see if you did your homework right. I think what it was is that they got, I think, musicians, people who were more like like jazz musicians and, and swing musicians rather than actual voice actors. And I get what they were trying to do because this is around the time period where you would have like a Betty Boop cartoon where Cab Calloway would show up and do Minnie the Moocher. 
And that is understandable. That's great. Something like that could go really, really cool. Because Cal Calloway is another animal entirely, and he's absolutely awesome whenever he does. This is different because these guys, what, what goes on in Catnip College is very much something that I would, I would see on a stage or I would see in a jazz club and may not allow itself to being a cartoon. It's it's like okay, uh, he's gonna go and do this, isn't that right? And then boo -ba -doo, boo -ba -doo, boo -ba -doo, you know, and then music things happen. It's like all right, now she's gonna go and do this. Would you would you tell me about biology or something? And she and she says a, a rhyme or something, and and it's like all right, it's like a, it's it's a it's a routine. It's a routine they would do in, in a jazz club or something. And what I will say is that there is very good animation in this. Yes. There is, it's fluid. It's well done. It moves amazingly to the music. The music is good. The color is really good from 1938. I mean, tech, they know how to do Technicolor really well. And that's yeah. that's a plus I will give this cartoon. So something I've talked about a lot um, on this podcast is that uh, the two of us as writers, because we, we come from the writing components, we analyze a lot of these shorts from a content perspective there's a lot of like looney tunes people on twitter or that also do podcasts that will talk about animation or music or those elements we are very much on story and content that being said the animation in this cartoon is incredible the music in this cartoon is incredible yeah. but there's no story there is no character there is no plot it is just vibes for seven minutes and you can get away with that in that era if you actually have a, a solid through line. This does not have that. No, it it does not. Um, so like the the I, I think his name is Johnny Cat. That's what he's uh, listed in the, the Wikipedia at least here. I didn't know that, and I watched the fucking thing. Exactly. Um, no, it's okay. Now, Jackie, you you tell me about. Jazz, so what'd you learn? And he's very much like half assing it. He's like, oh, you know, Charleston. And immediately the professor's like, come up here. I'm on. You're sitting in the corner of the class and you think about what you've done. All right? I'm trying to do my best impression of, of the professor because he sounds like the sort of thing where it's like he has that tone of voice and he's mumbling and like. For day one of, of how to be a voice actor. Don't fucking mumble. You know, nobody's ever made it in voice acting. Like, oh, all right, take one. No, that's Dustin Hoffman, I think, in the book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's like, okay, cats, let's try again. You know, make sure that you... And... Okay, if the professor was doing a Bing, Bing Crosby impression, that would I make it a little bit better, not gonna lie. Okay, cats and kittens, we're going to go and uh, do some of this. What's that? Being sued by who? Now after the class, um, uh, Kitty Bright, you want to see me after class? <laughs> we're not trying to say that uh, I'm promiscuous or anything. No, we don't want to get sued for the 18th time. <laughs> he's not even in this cartoon. He's in the next one. No, Anyways, but he's in the next one. Um, so we're just getting it ready, just so it's not a stale impression exactly, for the next. Exactly. One. Exactly. So yeah. it's like okay, you know, sit in the corner, 
And then he raises himself up. Oh, he has that dunce cap on. Yeah. And all oh, the yeah. students are laughing at him. And even Kitty Bright's like, hey, listen, Daddy O, here's my number. Daddy which- O, it's not 1950 yet. <laughs> okay, Kitty Scamp. Oh, fuck no. Uh, here's my number. Which can I say? That's radical and tubular. Wait a minute. <laughs> What can I say? What outdated colloquialism can I use that best befits 1938 and not the 50s, 80s, or 2010s? Okay, Kenny, you went on fleek. So listen. The thing is, all the colloquialisms from the 30s are probably racist. (laughs) Yeah, that too. That too. That's true. But maybe we shouldn't try to find them. Anyways, so here's the thing I will say, right? The guy got embarrassed, right? But the girl still gave her his gave gave the number. It's like, hey, listen, man, like you have to go with swing, but you got the digits. It's like you kind of you're halfway there. You may not be good at swinging, but my husband and I. No, <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyways, so yeah, we transition over, and it's the night time. It's like you know all the cats and kittens. They're all out there. Hey, all you cats and kittens. That's an evergreen one. <laughs> yes. They're all out there swinging away. Musically, of course. And, you know. It's... Wait a minute. Cats singing in the night? I think I feel a horrible Andrew Lloyd Webber score coming on. You mean the one that goes like. Figaro! Figaro! There's nothing here. They're just singing. They're just singing. Ooh. The closest thing we have to a story is that the the square geek cat has suddenly learned how to find his rhythm. Out of nowhere. And out of nowhere. nowhere, because the plot demands it. He's like, you know what? Now I know how to swing. And so he goes over to this girl, and they have this very well-animated, well-plotted-to-the-beat musical number that's actually really cool and well done, and there's a lot of good imagery and use of animation. And... It's a shame oh. that there's no plot in this fucking cartoon, because it actually does a lot oh, well. By the way, fun fact about the song that they sing at the end of this, which is yeah. called Easy As Rolling Off A Log. So apparently, James Taylor did a cover of this song, because it's, it's a real song, it's an actual song. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't shock me. As easy as rolling off a log I found it easy, baby, to fall in love with you. It was as easy as rolling cigarettes. If that ain't easy, maybe there's simpler things to do. Apparently, if you watch the music video, which I didn't have time to do, but if you watch the music video, there's clips of this short in there, which I'm like, cool. You know, th- this short is perfect for, for those moments where, like, we need to show a cartoon in this one shot of this movie, but we don't want to pay any money. Get yeah, kind of college cool. footage. Yeah. You'll, you'll get the job done. This also works because I look a lot like James Taylor from 1978. Like, like, like mid-70s James Taylor with, like, the, the faint mustache and the long hair and the, the receding hairline. I, I do look a lot like, like 70s James Taylor. I'm, I have never used heroin. But <laughs> that's literally the only difference between the two of us. <laughs> and he's a Red Sox fan. I'm not. I, um, I didn't know he did that. 
Heroin? Really? Yes, it was well documented. <laughs> he got really strung out, and it nearly derailed his entire career. Because when I think of like a, st- I mean, his songs already sound like he's strung out. I know what the difference would have done. Well, not every heroin user is your big like rocker type. Not everybody's Iggy Pop. Sometimes. You get someone like James Taylor who sings very sweet songs that they played at amphitheaters, and then afterwards he goes, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. sticking shit into his, in his arm or whatever. But um, yeah, not everybody's not everybody's a true rock star. Sometimes squares are, are into drugs as well, as we know with John Mulaney. Um, yes, a total square on stage, a rock star off it. So yeah, we end this cartoon with you know, the cat sings the song to the lady. Um, they, then fall they fall off, off a log, log, right? Yeah, they, they yep, fall off. Because it's the song, and then he's knocked out, and she kisses him because he won at the end of the day. Dagnabbit, he got the girl. Yeah. Yippee. No Huzzah. scholarship, no trip around the world, but he gets the girl. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Chuck Schumer. Okay. <laughs> ah, it's the only good, good uh, will I'm getting these days, anyway. Listen, I'm going to be very generous. Because I know what type of short this is, and the animation is very fluid, and it's good for, for, for the late 30s. But, man, these... No, going back to, you know, like, we view this from a story and, and content uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah, I... It's a nice piece of animation. You're just not going to hold on people's attention a lot, unless they're really no. into the art form. Which is fine. Yeah. It's just not for me. No. And look, I, and I've, I've talked about this as well. I find it very hard on here to talk about cartoons that are just vibes unless there is actually something substantial going on. Because we just talked about Rhapsody and Rivets. And I obviously love that one because it's yeah. not just vibes. It's not just like things moving to music. There's actually there's a story. There's actually really good gag work. There's things going on. There is nothing to Catnip College. It is solely vibes. And while the animation is excellent and the music is excellent, there is nothing in the story, character, or jokes department. So it is very rare that you have a a cartoon that is so lopsided, that is so immaculate in quality in some and completely lacking in other points. And that's really where we are. This runs the gamut between like what they were capable of. I mean, and, and, this was early enough in cartoon history where you could get away with that, where mixing music and animation was still enough for an audience. But, like, even around this time, you still had things like I Love to Sing It, which were substantial and which had a story and gags and things going on. I Love to Sing It is definitely, is definitely that, that you know, like watching all the, like, 30s stuff now, it's, you, you really come to more, which, again, I, I don't remember what ammo rating I gave I Love to Sing when we covered it. I feel if I were to go back to it now, I may actually view it higher because it takes Probably. the type of shorts like this and it does actually add character to it, which given, I mean, that's, that's an Avery short, if, if I'm not mistaken. So that makes I think a so, more yeah. Sense. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Avery's like, listen, uh, it's cute uh, animals, but, uh, singing is fine and all, but can we actually do something? Please, right? You do fucking something, and uh, but yeah. But as for this, as for uh, Catnip College, 
I'm going to give it a very generous three out of five animals. A very generous three out of five animals. I'm actually going to give it a 2.5. That's because fair. That's absolutely fair. If I'm giving two things a five and, and two other things a zero, it's cumulative right in the middle, 2.5. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That's only fair. All right. Let's get to one that I think <laughs> is just as difficult to talk about in terms of quality roller coastering. Curtain Razor was released on May 21st, 1949. I didn't find a hell of a lot on this day. Uh, I have the uh, British film director David Lean, who did uh, Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Version on the River Kwai, Passage to India, shit like that. He wed British actress and producer Anne Todd in London. Okay. Their third marriage each, and not their last, because they would divorce in 1957. Um, Ooh. Same year for, of Bridge of the River Kwai. It's like, wait a minute, I'm making one of the best movies I've ever, ever made. Guys, I don't need this wife of mine. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. It's not, there's not a lot of women in that movie either. Maybe it's just like, hey, wait a minute. If I can do this movie with a lot of men, do I even need a wife? In fact, do I even need women? <laughs> no. Let's do more movies of just men. Lawrence of Arabia. Fantastic. Um, Curtain Razor was... Directed by Frizz Freeling, written by Ted Pierce. There's a lot more Mel Blanc in this one. However, you have assistance of people like Dave Barry, Dorothy Lloyd, and Cliff Nazaro, uh, also in the voice booth, uh, helping out. Uh, otherwise, this is pretty standard specs for a 49 production. Yes, and also, uh, this short got its um, remastered home media um, debut on the Cats Don't Dance. Is that is that right? I think. Yeah, because uh, uh, okay, so it was okay, so it was in Daffy Duck's Fantastic Island. It was in yes, that. That's what we know. Like it five from. seconds. That's where we know it from. But I believe its home, like its remastered home media <clears throat> debut, was on the Catstone Dance uh, Blu-ray from the Warner Archive. So, I think the credits of this cartoon are very much a summation of what I think the strength of this cartoon is because. The credits are going by, and we hear underneath the credits, Mel Blanc vamping. Very, very, very silly. And we actually, yeah. for the only time pretty much in the cartoon, we see the waiting room. The whole thing is that it's this uh, talent audition thing that Porky's running. And we see, I love the, the, the opening shot here of the effect of panning the shot and seeing the characters shake in place under the, the music while the background is stable is really cool. <laughs> and then the reveal that all of this bellowing is coming from a cricket. Did that did make me smile? That is the strength of Mel Blanc. You have all this yelling and, and and bravado, and then you see it's the smallest possible thing. Also, I love that the the company is called Good and Corny. Yes. I like that. That's how you describe a lot of this cartoon as well. Um, 
with a varying emphasis on the good. Basically, to, after this, it becomes a gag Olympics where it's like, okay, how many other different animal characters can we have in there auditioning for Porky? And so it's just like, okay, quick fire gags, blackout gags, things like that. First one of these is pretty much a proof of concept where we just have a hen singing uh, the Blue Danube, which is very funny. I like the bit where she hits the high note and suddenly realizes she's laid an egg. <laughs> pretty good. I think around here we get the first hook of the, the fox that, that is protesting that he's got an act that Porky's going to love. And Porky's like, hey, wait your turn. And we see this three or four more times in the cartoon. Yeah, I put down here, uh, Yankee Doodle Daffy, you wait a second. Yeah, pretty much. You'll wait a moment, short. Well, different. Different Daffy short, but either way. After this was uh, Mel playing a turtle who says he's, he's a man of a thousand voices. Yes, go right ahead. That's a joke, son. That's a joke, Daddy. Yes, son, that's a joke. Everybody wants to get into the act. But that was only in 999 voices. Shucks, I know I've got another one. Rage, am I right? Uh... I like this one. So do I. It's one of the few times in Warner history, I think, where they're like, hey, we know, like, like we know Mel is really good. Let's just throw a gag in here. We just show off how good Mel Blank is. And it, it's really funny because it's literally the turtle doing all the Looney Tune voices. Like, the, the turtle even, like, puts on, like, rabbit ears at one point and, like, it's, it's funny. Doing yeah, I was like, oh, okay, hell yeah. If you got it, flaunt it. And goddamn it, they got it. Exactly. And I, I love this as a sort of self-referential knock at, at Mel Blanc being the man of, of a thousand voices. It was like Porky going, but that was only 999 voices. Shucks, I know I've got another one. And he's just walking out the door. I'll let you know if I figure out with another one. It's a very self-referential, very fun gag. Uh, even better if you know, you know, the Mel Blanc being Mel Blanc. And then, one of two gags that made sure this cartoon would end up in one of these episodes. Where we have Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Al Jolson doing his usual Al Jolson shtick that hasn't aged well. Mm. First of all, oh no, another Bing Crosby voice. He's going to sue. Ah. So, this is, I assume, the reason you don't like this one and that you didn't like it when we did Fantastic Island. Because it's just them singing a song. There's not really humor there. It's just caricaturism and singing a song the audience knows. And there's not a lot in that gag. It's just Al Jolson going... And also, like, in my opinion, it's not that good of a performance. Like, like they're, they're clearly not really no. matching that well. So I thought the joke was going to be that, like, they suck. It's like, oh, there are these three... Mega music talents. We put them together. They just—they're all off key. They're all terrible. But no, it's just a lesser swooner crooner joke, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. And it just kind of happens. And there's no real like. Even Porky's like, yeah, they're—they're they're not really my type. You know, it's good for Bobby Soxers or whatever. And you know, the joke is, ah, he's wearing those similar kind of socks. Yeah. And you know, this is what it is. Um, also. Whoever they got to do Bing and Bing and Frank is no Richard Bickenbach. What was he directing a McKimson film that day and they couldn't get him? No, but also the one thing I did like is that when they do introduce it, right off the bat, Al Jolson is just screaming 
That's my thing I say. Everybody laugh at the thing I say. Just, just being like sloppy him with the back end of his smoke pot me going, now you stop it now, stop it. And I'm like, this is like the one time I agree with Bing Crosby. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bing had some good points. I'm not proud of it, but I agree. You know, I think that guy should really shut up. Also, I'm suing the Looney Tunes for things that aren't my, uh, the thing I didn't do. And I'm probably beat people at one point or another. Yeah. I am a model role model. Ben Crosby, your friends idolize me. The simplest gag in here, which I think is the most evergreen gag in here, is a, a two-headed guy coming in and, and, and Forky going, Oh boy, two-headed? This ought to be a sensational act. Act schmacked, I'm just the janitor. I'm just the janitor. <laughs> Perfect. And yeah. that's the last non-copied gag in this cartoon. I mean, the diving dog is, it's not all that great after you've seen High Diving Hair. Uh, the train pigeons gag yeah, is just wetting the appetite for um, showbiz bugs. The flea circus gag, I feel like we've seen the flea circus gag somewhere else. It looked familiar unless it was just from here. I I think it was in an itch in time. It could be wrong, but it, it sounds like that'll be from like an inch in time or something. Maybe. And... Then we get to the ending, which is pretty much, which, which the whole cartoon's been building up to, which is pretty much the ending mm-hmm. of Showbiz Bugs. <sighs> okay, listen. You gotta understand something. I fucking love the ending to Showbiz Bugs. It's a great ending. It's great. It, it matches. It, it's a perfect crescendo to what Daffy's been trying to do throughout the entire cartoon. Knowing, now knowing that that actually came from, like, a C-tier at best Porky Pig cartoon, I'm sorry, but fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, fuck you. What do you mean it's part of this shitty-ass cartoon? Because, like... I, I hated this. I, 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 I really fucking hated this. If I wanted to watch this ending, I would see it in a much better cartoon than this like okay the pigeon business i was like oh okay even in that gag in showbiz bug is a small gag you know it, it was never meant to be this big extravagant thing the showbiz bugs one it, it's so it's, it's so stupid because i don't give a shit about this dog or fox or whatever the fuck i don't care yeah it doesn't make it worth it with showbiz bugs it's worth it. It's earned. Here, it's not. And the one positive, I guess, I could say is that at least when Frizz and Ted are writing this, they're like, "Hold on, this is a this ending. It's a good ending. It should probably be in a better cartoon or something. Maybe like this is yeah. this is really good. Maybe we can do this. Which given." There was like like eight like eight years release between this and Showbiz Bugs, maybe like nine or ten development time, maybe between the two. That's a long time, but like, still, it just pissed me off, man. It, it, it really, it really did. I don't even sound I'm like infuriated right now. That's because I'm just ah. If you read my notes page. Which I, I'm going to send Jordan a, a screenshot of because I essentially wrote this out Uh-oh. like instantaneously. 
And Jordan, if you want to read it to the audience, you're you're allowed to. Okay. Okay. All right. So we have in order. This better pay off. No. 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 Fucking hell. Fuck you. If I want to see this ending, I'll watch Showbiz Bugs. I can only do it once. Yeah, that's the other thing. That's the other thing. To the line. The line the here line. is, I can only do it once. And it's been done twice. How's that for you? The other thing. Like, imagine there was an alternate universe where we covered this one on the show before we covered Showbiz Bugs. Because there's been a lot of cartoons that we have covered where we've covered the copier first and then cover the one that had the jokes copied and go, well, the one that we did first or the one that we know better has done it better. And there's some where we've copied, we've seen the copier second and gone, oh, well, that's ripping off this other one that we know better. And I think what what still gives Showbiz Bugs the edge is that's honestly just a better conceit for a short. This is just, okay, Porky's doing a talent show. There's no real stakes. There's no real story. It's just a gag roulette. And Daffy killing himself at the end of Showbiz Bugs, it was, it built to it naturally rather than just somebody going, hey, stick around. There's going to be a big ending. Hey, there's going to be a big ending. Hey, there's a big ending. Hey, there it is. <laughs> like, like, you didn't need somebody in Showbiz Bugs to go, hey, watch because something big's going to happen at the end because all these other gags built up to it naturally. So, like, even if there's still the, the well, you know, it, it, someone else would do this gags later, Frizz Freeling at least knew that, that you know, he needed to at least repurpose the gag for a, a better cartoon, and Showbiz Bugs is clearly a better cartoon than this. Absolutely. Showbiz Bugs is on the Cats Don't Dance Blu-ray <laughs> with Curtain Razor. So you can basically make the decision yourself and go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know what? That's one positive I will give that. Because, like, listen, when I got the Cats Don't Dance Blu-ray, I'm not to go a little bit of tangent here, but, like, when I got the Cats Don't Dance Blu-ray, I, I already had Showbiz Bugs on Blu-ray because I got the Bugs Bunny 80th uh, celebration. It's on there. It's really nice. So I was like, oh, cool. Okay, Showbiz Bug is on two of my home releases. Cool. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, like, okay, I get why Kern Razor is on there because animals performing a talent, that, that's Catso Dance. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's legitimately Catso Dance. As much of animals go, how I do talents. But it's just like, man. <laughs> They had the same dude. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just an unfortunate situation, honestly. Because, like, you're like, oh, like, do I dump a Kern Razor? Because, honestly, Showbiz Bugs is the one that makes little sense to put on Cats Don't Dance. Like, why put Showbiz Bugs on there? What connection does that have with Cats Don't Dance? Not really. Not much. You put it on there because it's a damn good cartoon. So it's this awkward thing where it's like, okay, well, we have to put a really good cartoon on here because that would be a cool bonus feature. But also, this underseen, which, you no, know, that's also a very good way to show underseen cartoons is put on these Blu-rays. 
of, oh, here, here's Curtain Razor. And then people having to go, wait a minute, that's, I, I, I could literally press skip and watch the better cartoon. That's, yeah. uh, so yeah. Also, like, watch, watch Castle Dance. It's a pretty good flick, actually. <laughs> anyway. It's, you know, I haven't seen it in years, but, um, you know, it's, uh, from what I remember, it was really cool, so. Anyway, uh, Curtain Razor. I will say that other than the two gags that are... Okay. I say it's two gags, but it's actually three or four gags because there's three that have been repurposed and one that isn't funny. The ones that are also in this are actually kind of good. But it just makes this a piecemeal sort of gag Olympics where not everything is on the same page. And that ultimately takes away from this because there are parts of this that really work. There are gags that actually hit here. Porky doesn't have a lot to do here other than be a springboard for them. So you're already failing Porky. And a lot of the gags just don't hit. It's not great. I mean, more of it works than I would have thought. I'm coming away higher on this than I thought I would. But not by much because there's a lot that's wrong in this. Yeah. I mean, besides my complaints about the whole Chubbis Bugs thing, the shorts... Fine. Uh, the male blank self-referential gag is the best bit in this. I think, again, it's the only time they get a reference like this. And, if they, and um, just just watch Showbiz Bugs. Just watch them. Yes. Which, which, you know what's crazy? I'm like 900% sure we said the exact same thing about a different short. Yeah. You shouldn't need an excuse to watch Showbiz Bugs. It's fucking great. Go watch Showbiz Bugs. <laughs> yeah. Watch this once for the curiosity factor alone. Watch it maybe for the compare and contrast if you want to. But, like, you're going to have a much more fun time with the uh, Shippers Buttons. Yeah. All right. I'm giving this a three out of five. I'm giving this... (laughs) I'm going to give this a uh, 2.5 out of five vandals. Right. I figured it would be kind of close. And now for the one that uh, I knew about and you didn't. And I didn't tell you what it was. And I I stayed far away from it. When I was doing my, my, my notes for this, because usually how I take notes on here is I'll, you know, I'll, um, I'll okay, you know what's on day, and I'll write, like, your notes. Like, oh, what's, like, factoids about the short, and then my observations. I stayed away from my notes for this one. So I just wrote down my observations here. So I haven't wrote down anything. Because I didn't want to get spoiled. And that's a good plan. Because your reaction to it was worth it. You enjoyed the death threats I sent you? Why? <laughs> yes, I, I, I always do. They get me a little bit closer to the edge. Um, the edge of what, you may say. Well, uh, <laughs> Air Breadth Hurry is the name of the cartoon. It was released on June 8th, 1963. The number one song in the U.S. was It's My Party by Leslie Gore. Number one in the U.K. was From Me to You by The Beatles, Advantage U.K. That's a good song. That's a very good song. Um, Also on this day, um, the American... It's actually a pretty big deal. The American Heart Association is the first agency to campaign against cigarettes, which is a good thing. And also a battle that they would fight for a very long time. Because, like, when I think when I think the 50s and 60s, 
I think a lot of cigarette smoke everywhere. So, Absolutely, uh, everybody smoked back right. then. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, even as as like I, I have friends that like either smoked in high school or like or just like one of my best friends like had to really wean herself off of cigarettes and had to like okay like had a vaping period and then had to you know just go off of that and had it like the little sucking candy period where like she tried to like replace the um the want for cigarette with like wanting candy or whatever and that didn't really work so cigarettes are not that this is now a psa but um don't do it don't do it Chuck Jones directed it, but Maurice Noble co-directed it. You know what that means. Chuck Jones is on the way out. It was written by, um, well, John Dunn. John Dunn wrote it. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Bill Lava did the music, so we're in hell. We are fucked. <laughs> we're so fucked. That oh should have been God. your first clue. And remember, John Dunn is the greatest writer we ever employed. John Dunn. Uh, Ch- more, uh, Michael who? Ted who? Which, okay. Okay, now that we know that John Dunn has worked with Chuck, do you think they ever got to heated arguments about him? Just, they're just, you know, they're at some, like, dinner for their accomplishments. The Frizz like, hey, uh, you know how Wish could have been here? Who? John Dunn. That fuck? Yeah, it was great. Are we talking about the same John Dunn? I know it's a popular name, but um, the one I'm thinking of is a hack that couldn't write for shit. He's the best writer we ever employed. Why do you keep saying that? What did he do for you? Well, he wrote some of the (laughs) proudest things I ever produced. Like what? Well, the one where... uh, What what the fuck happened in it? Um... (laughs) It'll come to me eventually. So there's some warning signs, right? Was the third warning sign that there's a voice credit of Mel Blanc? <laughs> did that throw you well, off? Did that get its own credit? Yeah, yeah. Was wasn't Mel credit for the first one? I mean, he's in it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Dude, oh, that'll be the biggest Bane switch. Oh, damn it, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Because, like, if they did, that'd be the biggest fucking Bane switch in history, animation history. Just like, yeah, it's a typical, like, like cartoon. Yes, yes, he he is credited. Yes, he is. Okay, all right, yeah. That would have been amazing, right. though. Just okay. like, yeah, but it's a typical Wally Coyote cartoon. Nothing to see here. First thirty seconds happens. What the fuck is this? Yeah, and that, that's that's really what it is because like this is the the, the final Bugs and Wiley combo episode. Only instead of it being you know Wiley talks and then goes brain the brain with Bugs, this is essentially a Wiley Coyote Roadrunner cartoon. But because and I'll, I'll repeat the phrasing Bugs uses. Because the Roadrunner sprained a giblet cornering a sharp curve the other day, Bugs is taking his place. So it is a Roadrunner Wiley Coyote cartoon with Bugs, verbal as he ever is, doing the Roadrunner's part. Interesting concept. Now, the first thing that I noticed is that Mel 
seems very disinterested as Bugs. Hi, I suppose you're expecting the Roadrunner. Well, uh, he sprained a giblet cornering a sharp coif the other day, uh, so uh, I'm standing in for him. Uh-oh, here comes that old coyote now. Better get on me horse. Beep, beep. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, it, it, it kind of sounded like he was recording for like a Bugs Bunny Show TV commercial. Yes, yes. That is the vibe I got from this episode. It sounds like he's doing a bridger for Bugs Bunny show. He has the exact kind of, well, I figure that maybe we give the Roadrunner, uh, we, we give the Coyote a little uh, look-see. And just, you know, anyway, he is a cartoon to, to tide your tie, you by or whatever. I can't do it, Bugs. I'm sorry. Um, I really can't. Um, it, and so it, it feels like they're bridging, but it's not. This is the cartoon. And his bugs, it just seems like, like right, well, we're doing this. All right, I'll sort. I'm not going to give a hundred because it doesn't really allow me to give me a hundred. I'll do what I can, and he kind of does. Here's something I will say about this because do you think Mel was confused? Like, <laughs> hey, oh, hey, Maybe. hey, Chuck, hey, Maurice. Well, why are we? Do oh, oh, we're, oh, we're doing a Wiley Buzz cartoon. Oh man, I, I love doing um, Smart Wiley. It's so much fun. Okay, hand script. Okay, and bugs, bugs lines. Okay, okay, and I'm not saying he has Wiley. Why not saying he has Wiley? Uh, who wrote this? Ah, fucking hell. Okay, fine. Fuck, oh, damn it. When it sounds like even Bugs Bunny doesn't want to be here, then <laughs> that's not a good <sighs> sign. That's not a good sign. Jesus Christ. But yeah, um. So, a lot of this goes on, as you'd expect, and, again, the main problems become evident, because, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Bugs is too self-referential in this one. I wasn't exactly clamoring for dialogue yeah. explaining things in my Roadrunner and Coyote shorts. This sort of dulls the point, where he's going, okay, now I'm going to try this, or, you know, maybe I'll slow down a little bit to give him a chance, and, and just... There's a reason why they don't talk in Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. These two are just sort of, you know, Bugs is like, you know, I'm going to do this, and now I'm doing this, and he's doing this. We don't need that. This is visual humor. What is this? The Adventures of Roadrunner TV pilot? Oh, fuck. That's same kinda, thing, man. Yeah. The exact same thing. And that one was fully but, written by Chuck Jones and Michael Maltese. So yeah, they didn't have John Dunstan yeah. Kennedy in that. We don't. They don't have to blame anybody for that. But if I, which, if I may, like the, the one thing I'll give this is that the tells of a John Dunn written short. I don't really see a lot of that in this one, frankly. You know, yeah. um, the the timing is definitely not as. Good as um, no heyday, why coyote? But it's not like 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 done freeling productions where it's just so unbelievably boring. Wish for something else to happen immediately. This is like the best way to put it. It's confusing. It's very confusing because yeah. you're watching this and it looks enough like a Wiley Coyote cartoon that you're not thrown off by it because it's still the Jones division and god damn it they're still gonna try to look like a proper Wiley Coyote cartoon 
But it's just this weird thing where, like, you're watching it going, something's off. Something feels yeah. weird about this. Something – the jokes aren't hitting as harder. They're not. And it sucks. It, it's really unfortunate because because by itself, some of the gag layouts are pretty decent ideas. Yeah. Like, not the worst ideas in the world. Like, um, there's one where – Wiley has a shotgun, right? So he sees Bugs and buys, okay, shoots the gun, and somehow Bugs has tied a bunch of pipes mm. all, yes. all around the um the desert. And Wiley's just like, I guess I'll follow this. How do going? So he goes all through follows all the pipes, and then he looks, and that's when he gets blasted. And that sounds good. That's actually that's that's a that's great gag. But it would have been better with Roadrunner in it. But it drags. It drags on for so long. And it's that, that again, that the done timing is starting to invade the Chuck Jones cartoon. Where it's not just, look, kablam. It's, turn ahead. Wait a second. And then it goes off. And then he looks at the game. It's like, ah, it's not there. Not there. And and there's a lot of just like weird, like like like, like even bits of gags that are about to work just sort of like the, the as, as silly as the dropping road platform gag is. Did I hear a splashing water sound effect when Wiley landed? How many times do we have to establish on this show that they take place in a desert? Do they is it really hard to forget that? And like you have like this because it's the Bill Lava music. You have like him ruining it like with the weird brass cue. It sort of sinks the fishing line gag, as well as the unneeded sound effects when Wiley walks away with the fish on his head, which otherwise would have been a very funny visual. A lot of these gags just don't do anything surprising. Like, like they're just gags come and go, like, all right, that did exactly what I thought it would. Or like, this gag didn't make sense, even if some of the physics, like the anvil bullseye gag, where bugs just appear okay. behind Wiley and the anvil goes up for some reason. It, it, that it, was so, so close to being uh, good. That was so it close was. to being good. Because I liked, okay, drops the anvil. And then, of course, he looks over, and then Zach Bugs, like, he has the thing, and then it drops, and then drops on him. That's really good. And yeah. then, what, like, the anvil drops again, right? Like, somehow the anvil drops again, and, oh, wait, uh, oh, oh, wait, no, no, no. No, the anvil drops on Wiley. It takes the, 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 the stone off the rock. Wiley lands on the ground, and the anvil is still falling, and he takes the umbrella, it's like, oh, <laughs> shit. He's yeah. going to get hit again by the anvil. That's hilarious. Yeah. But no. A no, ball to him. the side. It misses him. Well, what's funny is him getting immediately hit by a truck. That's funny. Why is that funny? That's not funny. God damn it. Yeah. I agree and disagree on that one. Have we really reached... I know, I know. It's, it's, it's not as good of a cartoon. Have we really reached the point where a rant Wiley getting hit by a truck isn't funny? If it's not done well, I thought this was. I thought this was the one gag that was actually done really well because you're expecting him to, him to get hit by the anvil. He doesn't. All right, he walks away. Then random truck, where you're not even. That's not even in the equation. And then just. Oh my god. Okay. The one thing I will agree with you on. This ending bit. It goes on for so long. <laughs> so fucking long. Because if it ended after he springs away, that would have worked. Because there's the there's the one thing that Bugs actually aided with well was him clinging onto the, the telephone booth and 
them him. Hey, it's for you. All right. <laughs> that that was good. That was good. That works. But if it if it had ended there, it would have been a lot better because it just keeps going and going, and then you have bugs go. Okay, look behind you. Boom. Like what? Why was that needed? And then just continuing to be on the line and saying, Dude, okay. it felt like they focus gripped this cartoon. People were like, what's going on? They had to go back to the studio, have Mel go, okay, Wiley, look behind you. Okay, there, we made the cartoon 10 <sighs> times dumber now. Yep. <laughs> Yay. Yay, the Dunn mentality. Be dumb like Dunn. Yeah. Copyright. <clears throat> TNQAF Productions. Pretty much, yeah. Sell that on t shirt. Anyways, we've always said, right? Why Cody Cartoons, they have the big ending joke, right? It's like, 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 you won't know when it's coming, but when it does happen, you're like, I get it. This is probably, it's either the best joke or it's at least the biggest joke. So, okay, I get why it's the end. What's the ending for Wiley? He just falls off another cliff. That's not a big. It's like all right, you oh, know, no, a door. Oh, it's no. over. It's like, <sighs> sure. That's, yeah, literally, Buzz is like, like, oh yeah, yeah, doors. Do you realize he almost hit this door, and and, and then like cuts off the phone line, like, hey, it's a phone company, we're cutting off the phone. Already hard, hard, hard. Anti clever. Fucking hell. <sighs> and that's the end. So. This cartoon did something I never thought a cartoon could do. Hairbreadth Hurry is the first time Bugs Bunny has ever annoyed me in something. He doesn't need to be here. Several of his lines are unnecessary. He gets in the way of a lot of the wily gags, several of them actually beginning to be decent. It's a weird strategy trying to put him in there, and it feels more like a Bugs Bunny Bridger than an actual cartoon, like we were saying. And it's already at the point in Warner Brothers' history where the gags just aren't working and are falling apart before they actually end and are trying too many things and going on too long. Like, the done mentality is not do this concept wonders or anything. And so, there's more decent pieces. There's pieces of good gags, but there's no, there's not a lot of good gags. It's, it's really not great, and it just falls apart while trying to do something different. And it, it's... A weird oddity that just doesn't work. So, I go back every time to chance to be a, a 65,000. That's yeah. Chuck Tudrick cartoon, written by John Dunn, that we like. Hairbreath Hurry came out on June 8th of 1963. Chance of a 65,000 came out in November of 1963. Yeah. Which means this was Chuck and John's first collaboration, and Chuck's like... Oh, I gotta be way more hands-on with this guy. He does not get jokes. Okay, listen. Here's this vampire thing I have an idea for. I'm gonna write down gags, just set them up as best as you possibly can, and I'll do my best to direct it. And credit what credit's do. That cartoon is directed is directed better. It's the jokes are better. And Mel's performance is like it's like ten times better, frankly, in that one than it is in this one. Yeah. And you know, you know what's so funny? There's so many ways that I could like criticize this cartoon for for its gag work, for how Mel was doing this uh, this performance. But the, the the best way I could describe my feelings for this cartoon is this was stupid. 
Like I, I know that I know that I know that sounds childish. It's like, oh what? It's stupid. Like this is just, stupid. It's stupid. It's such a stupid cartoon. There's it's it's confusing to the mind. Because you would think, okay, a wild cartoon where Bugs Bunny is the roadrunner. Do you know how many fan fictions have been made possibly about that? Not a creepy way. Not a creep, just like, oh, would have been funny if Bugs were the Roadrunner. You could probably write a decent page or two about that. Like, oh, you know, there's some hijinks. Wiley reads in a book that rabbits are actually more nutritious than Roadrunners, which I'm pretty sure is in the other uh, Wiley and Bugs cartoons. Which, God, we should really get to covering those, Jordan. Yeah. We should really get to covering more Bugs and Wiley cartoons. Absolutely, and don't worry, we're going to. <laughs> Wink. Anyways. Um, <laughs> we're not subtle. No. Yeah, man, th- th- this just didn't do it for me. I was confused. It's I was bewildered. I'll say this. Kern Razor, I was more bad <laughs> at. This one, I am definitely more confused. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm just, you know, I'm not as confused, but I'm more just like, you know, I'm appalled that, that they thought this would have been a good idea with the circumstances they had. I gave it a 2 out of 5. I agree. I'm also giving this short a 2 out of 5 animals. Rock on. It's, it's just not good. It's just not. It really isn't. It's just not. It's, yeah. oh, I put it on here for a reason. So. And it, it was a good reason. I'll, I'll say this. Each three of these were bad in different ways. So at least it wasn't boring, you know? Yes, exactly. Different types of badness. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Let's see what you guys had to say about these bad Looney Tunes cartoons. And folks... I got one now. Anthony's Animation Talk, who covers all the... uh... All the Looney Tunes cartoons. Matter of fact, in doing research for some of these, some of the rips for these, I came across a video that he did on, uh, I think, on Curtain Razor. Um, Anthony says, oh, I like Catnip College, especially that cool teacher in the beginning. I wish I had when I went to school. So, Anthony, and, and with all the respect in the world, but your idea of cool is someone who doesn't know how to voice act and sounds like Bing Crosby on Quaaludes. Um... And look, I get what you mean, because it's a cool musical professor. It's like, oh, man, let's do this. And more professors need to be like that. But um, I don't know, man. (laughs) And look, I'm I'm glad that people like this cartoon. And, you know, um, yes. Damn, Jordan, you're going to be so savage about it. If anyone is going to understand, it's Anthony because, like, Anthony's like, yeah. you know, oh yeah, well, we all have uh, differing opinions on things. He goes, out, he talks about like, well, you know, I used to not like Sylvester and Tweety very much, like yourself, Mark. Same, and, same. You know, he yeah. goes, yeah, but like, yeah, no, I mean, again, media is subjective. Everybody has different opinions about it media. Is. We see it as Everyone's a mirror to our own, opinions. Um, likes and dislikes. Yeah, exactly. No, um, kind of college does some things right. It's a beautiful cartoon. It's a well orchestrated cartoon. There's just no plot, and we like plot. That's really how it is. He's not alone, isn't he, Mark? Because there's a, a lot of Catnam College defenders on the comment comments. Yeah, so from commenter and the listener of the show, 
HP Desk Jet 720C. <laughs> Still love it so much. Um, they said, for some reason, Kingdom College has always been one of my favorite shorts. So good. I guess I enjoy the animation and the music. Absolutely, yes. that's a hundred percent fair. That's fair. I love how the shorts fluid animation that jazz music speak to me. I'm hoping that you at least like the music. And, and we do. We do. Uh, again, as animation, it's good. As a music showcase, it's good. As a short that's meant to entertain people through gag work, perhaps, um, not as good, in our humble opinion. Basically, you, you summed up everything I needed to say. It was like, yes, we like the music. Of course we like the music. We like the animation. We like both those things because those that's where the emphasis is. It's just, you know, we could have preferred maybe some plot, maybe some characters, and maybe something, you know, for us. Like, and we try and, and, and cover everything equally. But sometimes when something isn't there, we have to say something about it. And that's yeah. basically... Why we why we don't like this as much as really we should. And uh, Justin uh, Justin one one nine four says, "I think Catnip College was Jerry Beck's favorite cartoons." Yeah, it, it is. is. It is. And um, if Mister Beck is listening, sorry, man. Listen. Yeah. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to agree, disagree, and uh, yeah, yeah, not not for us, not for us. But yeah, thank you guys for your comments. Um, we appreciate it. Do you want to thank the patrons? I guess since we're here. Thank you to all the people that have signed up for our Patreon, including Andrew Trescrew, James Irish, and Sam Adams, the person not the drink. We appreciate all of your support. Uh, remember, as we probably discussed at the beginning of this episode, we're doing a special sale on our Patreon where uh, if you pay $1, you get access to all the commentaries, all the special content and everything. So if you are interested in that and supporting our podcast and getting some extra stuff, go to patreon.com slash TNQAF. All right. So as, as we end near the end of uh, 2023, um, you know, it, it, it's so funny. Since we planned this episode and moved it slightly, thanks to the glorious disc printing uh, factories that are apparently underutilized, I think, um... Every factory is understaffed. Nobody wants to work. Because, you know, nobody wants to pay workers. Yeah. Um, but there is a brand new Looney Home Media release that is coming out next Tuesday. It's from the Water Archive. And I kind of feel bad because I kind of crapped on one of the releases in this episode. But they do really good work. And especially now, they're focusing a lot of their attention on preserving animation in the physical home space. As evident by streaming shirts, how it doesn't give a shit. So, the people over at Warner Archive, who are also the people in charge of Looney Tunes Growing Collections, um, are releasing the Looney Tunes Collector's Choice Volume 2. Both of us have um, have owned Collector's Volume 1, in fact. Over on our Patreon, that is one of the exclusive contents you get, is our thoughts on Volume 1. And according to uh, Jordan Jerry, the sales of Volume 1 were so good that not only did we get a Volume 2, but apparently Volume 3 is already in the works. So, yes, yay. Looney fans did something. 
Also, if we Hell moved yeah. any units, we deserve a cut. We don't. We don't no, deserve no. anything. We deserve <laughs> a, a handwritten thank you from Jerry and or George. Uh, no, no, you don't have to. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's okay. Uh, special treatments is not my thing. Um, no, no. But, um, but yeah, uh, so we are going to be taking a look at three shorts from the second collector's choice blu-ray that's gonna be awesome so the three we'll be covering are ghost wanted followed by the wacky worm and finn and caddy which is a chuck jones cartoon all right so those are the three we'll be covering for next week that's right it's a promotional episode it's the closest you're gonna hey, get to us we a owe it to him. yeah yeah, but by all means, all, 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 all the great stuff they've given us over the years. Yeah, it's about time we pay back. So that is the end of this week's episode. If you want to follow us on Twitter, follow me at MarkHalem1995. And you can follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt. If you'd like to help with the podcast or give your thoughts for next week's episode, you can follow us at that underscore loony, both on Twitter and Instagram, or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also find our podcast wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Player FM, Amazon Music. Follow our YouTube channel where we post clips from episodes, shorts from episodes. We've got plenty coming from there. And if you haven't already, come, uh, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com. Oh, no, if we just really um, interject here, because um, the Spotify Wrapped just uh, dropped for, uh, for, for podcasters. So we actually... I've seen how our show is done this year. Thank you so much. Like, yeah, seriously, thank you. Yeah, we're like the number one, like, like over like a hundred people were like in our top ten podcasts. Which, like, thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for uh, following along this year. Yeah, we we appreciate the support. So until next week. I'm Mark. And I'm Jordan, and I'm done with this impression for another several weeks until I need to pick it up again. Boop, 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 boop.